morning. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them you are glad they are here this morning. And now turn to your other neighbor and tell them you're really glad they're here this morning. Well, I am glad to be here this morning. I love this church, and I have been praying for all of you, praying for this message this morning. I am excited to preach the Word of God. Our small group has spent the past nine months looking at the book of John, the Gospel of John, and I figured it would be appropriate to share some of the things that we have learned from our study of John, and so I'm going to share that this morning. Uh, Specifically, we have been looking at the book through a theme, and I think we have that, that theme up here. It's been encountering the person of Jesus, or encountering Jesus. And uh, we're going to focus on the, the last chapter, so we're going to focus on John chapter 21, uh, specifically the last little section of the last chapter. We're going to look at verses 18 through 22. Um, but to, to set the context a little bit, this is after Jesus has been crucified. It's after he has risen from the dead. So, spoiler alert, if you have not read the Bible, Jesus dies and rises from the dead. And this is kind of in this interesting little section of the Bible where Jesus is, he's died, he's risen, and the disciples are still here, and Jesus actually appears to some of them. So Peter and John go to the tomb, they see the empty tomb, and Jesus appears to Mary. And then later on, all the disciples are in this room together, and Jesus appears in their midst, he appears to them again. And then here in chapter 21, he appears to them a third time. So they're, they're sitting, Peter in particular, sitting kind of on the, the seashore, and it's like, well, Jesus did this thing, he's appeared to us, but now what, right? And at the beginning of the chapter, he says, I am going fishing, which I think is funny. Scholars have different interpretations of what this actually means. I think it's, well, I guess, back to what I know, right? I, I was a fisher before, and... Uh, now what? So I, I guess I'll, I'll go do some more fishing. They say, all right, we'll come with you. So they, they get out on the boat, and they fish all night, and they don't catch anything. It's a miserable night, I can imagine. I've never been fishing all night, but that sounds really boring. So they, they don't catch anything, and uh, it's, it's early morning, and they're kind of coming back to shore, and they see somebody up on the, the beachhead, up on the shore. And he calls out to them, and he says, throw your nets over the right side of the boat. And it's like, well, got nothing to lose. Haven't caught anything up to this point, so sure, why not? So they throw their nets over the right side, and they catch all these fish. In fact, John actually says they catch 153 fish. And Peter and John look at each other, and they realize it's him. It's Jesus. He's back for a third time. And Peter gets so excited that he actually jumps over the side of the boat and swims to shore. Somebody in our small group, I don't remember who it was, somebody pointed out, you remember Peter was the one who walked on water. You wonder if maybe he thought that was going to happen again. Like he <laughs> jumps out and he like runs across the shore, but it doesn't. He, he has to swim up to shore. And they, they, uh, they come onto the beach and Jesus is there and he's got a fire going and he's already cooked some fish and he's got like a little breakfast for them and they get to have this final moment with Jesus. They get to have this final encounter with Jesus. 
Now, we're going to look at uh, verses 18 through 22. I'm going to read verses 15 through 22 to set the scene a little bit. Uh, but specifically, we're, we're looking at Peter and his full arc as a disciple, all of the different encounters he has with Jesus and how this is, this is kind of the culmination, at least in the book of John, of Peter's story. His initial obedience and following, his passion for the Lord, his denial, and then here we have his restoration. So, John, chapter 21, we'll start in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then this is 18. This is where we'll focus. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So John documents this final encounter that Peter has with Jesus. And, and like I said, we're, gonna, we're specifically going to look at verses 18 through 22. But the big idea this morning is this. An encounter with Jesus is marked by change and a call to focus and follow him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, as, we, as we read your word this morning and we explore these different encounters that we see in Scripture, I pray that you would be working through each one of our hearts, that we would encounter you in new and different ways, that you would make yourself known to each one of us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so if you know me, you know I, I like movies. And if I was talking to people who also like movies, I would say I am a lover of cinema, right? And one of the movies that I really like is uh, Ben-Hur, which is this historic, some of you have seen it, this historical fiction period epic. And uh, it's, it's set during Jesus' life. It's not really about Jesus, but it's set during Jesus' life. And it's about this guy named Judah Ben-Hur, and he grows, grows up with this friend named Masala. And Ben-Hur kind of grows up in this wealthy Jewish family. Masala grows up as a Roman. And as they get older, Masala rises to this position of power as a Roman tribune. And uh, things come to a head early on in the film. This is not a spoiler. Early on in the film, Masala decides that he's had enough of Ben-Hur's talking about the glory of the Jewish people and how they're the chosen people. He condemns him to slavery, sentences him to slavery in the galleys, rowing ships. And 
we're going we're gonna to watch a clip from this movie here. This is shortly after Ben-Hur has been sentenced to slavery. And they are marching these slaves through the town of Nazareth. And they come up on this well, and the Roman soldiers who are there say, get water for the soldiers and for the horses. And, and Ben-Hur tries to get some, and, and you'll see what, what happens here. Um, remember, this is fiction. This is not real. Uh, but Jesus is actually in this town. And what we're going to watch is an encounter that he has with Jesus. Why don't we watch this? No water for him. with Jesus is powerful, right? Now, this is obviously a fictional encounter, but I think it, it demonstrates the point that when you have that face-to-face -face connection, you have that face-to-face -face moment with Jesus, it has an impact. In this instance, you actually have two kind of moments because you've got the, the Roman centurion, and you see how he's impacted, and then you have Ben-Hur himself. My small group is probably going to laugh because I've referenced that clip probably half a dozen times over the past nine months, and I've never shown them. And I said, we're going to watch Ben-Hur together, and they laughed at me because it's an old movie. So I put it in my sermon, so now they have to watch it. 
So um, I, I want you to just keep this in mind as, as we look at the text this morning. Keep that idea of that face-to-face encounter with Jesus in the back of your head. Uh, but this, uh, this brings us to our, our first observation from the text. And there's, we're going to have two observations, and then we're going to have a couple of points of application. So the first observation is this. When you encounter Jesus, your life will change. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. This is Peter's final encounter, final conversation with Jesus, at least that John documents here. And Jesus basically tells him, you're going to die. What? <laughs> a little weird. Why, why does Jesus say this? I know uh, our small group kind of wrestled with why this is in the text. Um, and, and for those of you who know, John is writing this from a, a place of realization. He's writing this years down the line. Peter has probably already been killed. Looking back on this conversation and understanding more what Jesus was actually saying. In fact, church tradition actually tells us that Peter was crucified in the same way that Jesus was, except Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he did not deem himself worthy to be martyred in the same way that Jesus died. But the way in which Jesus says it is somewhat cryptic. And like I said, our small group had some good discussion about what he is actually saying here, why he's saying this. kind of sounds like he's saying you're going to get old, somebody else is going to carry you where you do not wish to go, but that's not what happens to Peter, that's more so what happens to John. So it's, it's a little, there's two questions, is what is he saying and, and why is he saying it? And I think about what Peter's probably thinking, what's going through Peter's head when he hears this. Days earlier, he watched Jesus die this horrific death on a cross. Is he thinking, is that going to happen to me too? What is going through his head? So Nathan is my apprentice in our small group, and we're in the process of, of multiplying groups. Shout out to the Vienna Merrifield small group, for those of you who are here. Um, but we're in the process of multiplying groups. And I was thinking, it's kind of a similar moment, right? Jesus is departing. Similar moment for me. What if I pulled Nathan aside? I was actually going to do this, but he's not here today. And I was going to say, Nathan, do you love me? (laughs) And he was going to say, yes. And I would say, take care of the small group. And then again, Nathan, do you love me? Yes, take care of the small group. Third time, Nathan, do you love me? Yes, take care of the small group. And then I say, and you're going to die taking care of the small group. (laughs) Pretty intense, right? And if you, if you look at just these verses, if you look at it in a vacuum, so to speak, it is kind of intense. You're just going to die, that's it? Okay, well, what am I supposed to get from that, right? It's very important to look at this in context of Peter's overall arc as a disciple. So if we think about Peter's arc, and we've got a, a slide up here, this is, this is not comprehensive, this is not all of the events of Peter's life, so just bear with me here. But I've got some of the big ones up on the screen. So Peter has his first encounter with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, you will be Cephas, rock, right? And then after that, Peter walks on water. He has this moment of faith, and, and he walks on the water, comes out of the boat towards Jesus. Then on the night of the Last Supper, Peter actually says, we'll follow you anywhere. I will lay down my life for you. I'll die for you. Hours after that, 
he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear, which is like, okay, it seems like he's willing to follow through, but Jesus rebukes him. He says, no, don't put, put your sword away. And then shortly after that, Peter denies him three times. Like I said, this is not comprehensive, so don't, don't get distracted on, oh, you didn't include this or that. The point here is it's highs and lows. Peter has these moments of incredible faith. He has these moments where he's, he's just ready to go. And then shortly after, he trips or stumbles over his words or acts too fast or denies Jesus multiple times. He wants to show this ultimate act of devotion by laying down his life for Jesus. And here, in this final interaction, Jesus gives him the opportunity. Without Jesus... Peter is unable to follow through. And that's what this, this dot here at the end is, Peter's restoration. When Jesus says, follow me, it is a restoration for Peter. He's sitting across from him on the beach. They've just had breakfast. He looks him in the eye and he says, follow me. When you encounter Jesus, your life will change. And that is the point. You see him, you're never quite the same. It changes the company you keep, the things you say the way that you act, all of these things that you want to do, that Peter wanted to do, these empty promises, Jesus bridges that gap and he gives him the ability to do so. And you see it with Peter, a little bit of a fast forward here. He goes out shortly after this and in the book of Acts, he preaches this incredible sermon and thousands of people come to Christ. Thousands of people believe what he says. And I'm sure it wasn't all, you know, sunshine and roses for Peter after that. In, in fact, we know it wasn't because of the way that he died. But the point is he's now able to follow through. He does become Cephas, rock, this consistent bulwark. He fulfills his destiny. And that is the point. Peter changes. He goes from coward to committed and talking to actually taking action. He goes from fear of failure to a fearless leader. And he goes from blind zeal to a focused following of Jesus. And that leads us to our second observation from the text this morning. When you encounter Jesus, he calls you to focus and follow. Picking up in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is so human. <laughs> Don't we all do this? This is so relatable. Peter has the missional directive, and he also has the specific objective. Follow me. How? Feed my sheep. He's got everything, and the first thing he does and says, well, what about him? What's he going to do? Right? When I was younger, I read the Bible, and I read about the Israelites and the Pharisees and the disciples, and... In my immaturity, I said, man, the Israelites, they just don't get it. You know, why, why can't you just obey? Or, or the Pharisees, their hearts are so hard. What, it's pretty easy. Just believe. Or the disciples, like, why can't you just follow through? Just have faith. And the older I get, the more I realize I do that. Right? And it's only getting more difficult. 
It's not like Peter hears this and he's like, okay, got it, ready to go. He goes off on his way and a couple days later he's scrolling through his Instagram and there's John. He's got this incredible Instagram post and he's like, man, that guy's got a way with words. Why can't I do that? I want to write a book, right? Some of the things that we have to deal with. But the point here is that Jesus calls us away from comparison. He calls us to focus. Comparison is contrary to the call calls us away from that. Focus on him. Follow me, Jesus says. Facebook, Instagram, for you younger people, TikTok, right? There's only one person that you should be following, that's Jesus, (laughs) right? (laughs) When I first started studying this passage and preparing to preach on it, my thought was to stay here a little bit and and focus on, well, what is that specific calling for you? What what is it that Jesus wants you to do with your life? And that's important. We'll talk about that here in a a little bit. But the more I, I wrestled with it and prayed through it, I don't think that's really the point of this passage here because the call is the same for all of us. It's to follow him. I think that the takeaway from these these verses is where is your focus? Keep your eyes on him. Focus and follow. So I was seven years old and uh, a friend of mine invited me to his birthday party and they were going to Six Flags as a family and it was a family of 11 children. And um, so they could only invite one person, and I got the lucky invite. So the one thing that they told me beforehand was wear a red shirt. I was like, okay, I, I don't know why, but I can do that. Seven years old, I'm, I'm good. So they, they pull up in their 15-passenger van, as the, the Holmans was their name. They pull up in, uh, in the driveway in their 15-passenger van, and I go out, and I get in the car, and the doors come open, and all of them are wearing red shirts. I was like, oh, that's why. Uh, it's, maybe that's a homeschool family thing for, for those of you who are homeschooled. But uh, big family, got to keep track of each other. We'll make it as easy as possible. We'll all wear the same color. So we go to Six Flags, and we have a great time. It was my first time ever riding roller coasters. I think they took me on like the Dominator for the first one or something. Totally terrified me. But uh, had a great time. And we're, you know, just enjoying ourselves at the park. About lunchtime, we get some lunch and we're headed out. And we're, I remember I was walking down this hill and I kind of look up and I saw this really big roller coaster. I was probably nervous that that was the one we were going to do next. I'm kind of walking down this hill and I hear somebody calling my name. And I'm surrounded by red shirts, right? It's a family of 11, 13 people total. It's really easy to just stay together. So I'm like, man, somebody else is here. So I look up at the top of the hill, and I see the Holmans in all their red shirts standing up there at the top of the hill. And I turn back around. I'm like, who are these people? Who am I standing with? It was another group that was all wearing red. And I had gotten kind of pushed aside into their group and ended up following them. I, I was embarrassed because I was the only person who this happened to. So I run back up, link back up with them. It's very easy to lose focus, right? Even when you think you're with your people, even when you're on the same team, you look at Peter and John and Jesus, who have been through it together. Literally, Jesus died. And the first thing that happens to Peter is he still falls prey to this. He still falls prey to comparison. He loses focus. It only takes a second. This is a call to all of us, but it's a personal call to all of us. And I know I have been convicted of this in my own life because I do that. I look at 
him and say, well, what about him? They're, they're, he's doing things differently. Or I look at her, or I see that post on Facebook. Well, I don't have Facebook, but Janelle's Facebook. I see that post on Facebook, and it's like, man, you know, fall prey to comparison. Jesus says, what does it matter to you? You follow me. What does it mean to follow? The Greek word here is akalutheo, uh, which means to follow, to literally walk behind or to imitate or to be guided by, to be consistent with. And I thought this was interesting. Frequently used when describing slaves and soldiers. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Jesus talks a lot about slavery. We also saw it in that clip. You see a slave and a soldier in there too. What does that actually mean? How how did Jesus model that to his disciples? Well, you you look at John 13. This is the the night of the Last Supper, days earlier. And Jesus says it right after he finishes washing the disciples' feet, John 13, 15 through 17. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Imitate Christ. Christ served like a slave would have done. And then you look at later that same night. He, he says, I, I am going. And Peter says, we'll follow you. He says, where I'm, I'm going, you, you cannot follow. And then that's when the moment happens. Peter says, I will follow you anywhere. I'll lay down my life for you. So what does it mean to follow? It means to imitate Christ, to do as he did, to follow his example. Humble yourself. Jesus says to hate the world, love your neighbor as yourself. These are, these are commands. But I want to be very clear here. It's about more than just being a good person. I've spoken with plenty of people who do not believe in the Christian faith, and they say, I just don't see how that's any different from morality. How is the Christian faith any different from just being a good person? And it is so different because it is a relationship with Christ. It is a daily, ongoing occurrence. I've heard it described as a systematic reorganization of my own priorities to follow Jesus, to do as he did, to follow his example. Going back to my theme park example, imagine if I'd split off from uh, the the Holmans and and done my own thing in the morning. I was like, I I don't want to do the roller coaster thing. I'm going to go ride the kiddie ride or something. And then uh, maybe lunchtime we link back up. And then in the afternoon I go to, that's not following, right? That's independence. We're, We're each doing something different. Following, you're right there. You're together. So what? That's great for Peter. That's great in these verses, but what about me? What timeless truth can I gain from Peter's encounter with Jesus? Well, Peter is human, and so I think his story, in a lot of ways, is our story. I think there's, there's multiple things that we can, we can get from this. So our, our application boils down to three points, three questions. The first one is this. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you had that life-changing encounter, that life-changing moment with Jesus? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He will forgive you your sins. He will cleanse you from unrighteousness. Maybe you feel like you're not worthy, but I'm a sinner. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. Going back to Peter, this is the same guy who just denied Jesus 
hours, days, I don't know exactly how long, but not that long ago, he denied him. He said, I don't even know who that guy is, right? It does not matter what you've done. God can use you. You can have that same encounter with him. He will forgive you. Pastor Mark shared a few weeks ago about the, uh, the girls that have been kidnapped by Boko Haram in Africa. And all but one have, have been released up to this point. Uh, and, and the reason that they have not released the, the one girl is because she continues to refuse to deny Jesus Christ. And I thank God for her faithfulness, and I pray for her that she would continue on. And I also think about Peter, who did deny Jesus. And you look at how God redeemed him and restored him and used him for his kingdom. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be saved. Or maybe you feel like you have had that encounter, but you're not sure if it's legit. You're not sure if it's real. It's like, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe I listen to worship music or I go to church every once in a while. Um, but I, I don't know. Is that really Jesus? John gives you a really easy way that you can tell at the very beginning of the book. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Easiest way to encounter Jesus? Right here. Pick this up and read it. That's how you can encounter Jesus. Also, Hebrews uh, 4, 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It perceives the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word, the word does that. You can encounter Jesus through this book. I had an encounter with Jesus um, a few weeks ago through his word. I was preparing for small group. And I wanted to share the story because it's, it's not particularly earth-shattering or groundbreaking. It's just exactly what I'm describing. It's an encounter with him through his word right here. And I was, we, were, uh, we were talking about the, the woman caught in adultery uh, in John, which if you're not familiar with that story, uh, the Pharisees have entrapped this woman. They probably have literally tricked her. Um, she's been caught in adultery, red-handed. They bring her in front of the synagogue, and they throw her down with Jesus. And it's this shameful humiliating, awkward moment where there's this woman who's literally just caught in sin at Jesus' feet, and they're ready to stone her. They have rocks in their hands. And Jesus kneels and starts writing in the dirt. And we don't know what he wrote, by one, but one by one, all the Pharisees trickle away. And then he's left with this woman, and, and he kneels by her, and he said, are none of them here to condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. And I was reading that, and I was just moved to tears because that's me. I was a wretch. I was caught in sin and trapped in my own wrongdoing. And Jesus kneels, and he says, I do not condemn you. Go now and sin no more. It is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. For those of you who have encountered him and made that profession of faith to follow him, what does that focused following look like?
I said we'd talk about this a little bit. I, not exactly the whole point of the text here, but it is important to think about. What is his personal call to you? How is he going to use you for his kingdom? What has he gifted you with? What are your skills, your abilities? And are you remaining focused on that? That's the key. You can do a lot of great things for the kingdom and then fall astray, right? Are you remaining focused that daily on the beach, you're right there, you just had breakfast with Jesus, right? And you've looked him in the eye. Are you focused there? We live in a time and place in history when the church is immensely blessed, especially here in America. And I would caution against comfort. Don't get too comfortable. Why? Well, look at what happened to Peter. He ends up dying, just like Jesus said he would. John 12, 25, Jesus says, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. John Piper writes on this passage, Pain is pain, not pleasure. Only a higher love brings you to embrace it when you could avoid it by denying Christ. What does that focused following look like? For some of us, that might mean we die for Christ. For others of us, maybe not. Maybe God has a different plan. But are you praying about that? Are you, are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Are you following him? What does that look like? Last point of application, point number three. Will you obey him? I think about what Peter just went through on the night of the Last Supper. Again, John 13. He says he'll die for Jesus. And then he denies him. It's very easy to say you're going to do something much more difficult to follow through. But I want to be very clear here. It is only because of Jesus's, at this point, finished work on the cross that Peter even has this ability of our own accord, of his own accord. There's nothing, nothing that we can do to reach out and achieve that unity with Christ, that obedience with Christ. It is only because of what Jesus did that we can obey. And I praise God for that, because if not, then it's a very different situation. Peter fulfills his destiny. He becomes Cephas Rock. Going back to my little uh, chart I had up there, the highs and lows for Peter, the ups and downs. What do you think of when you think of a rock? I think of consistency, like just steady, right? This is not a very rock-like chart, right? This is pretty inconsistent. This is up and down. Only after his restoration and Jesus' work can he become that rock. All right, I'll close with this. I know Janelle has been uh, very blessed by the women's Bible study. Um, and when I was practicing for her, one of the things that she said was, you know, um, Hannah always has these like little graphs and charts and diagrams and things. You should do like a graph or a chart or a diagram. Make it really visual. I was like, okay, great, I'll do that. So thank you, Hannah. Um, this is my little, my little formula, if you will. This is Encounters with Christ, the formula, if you can pull that up. Uh, so at the top here, we have an encounter with Jesus. You have that moment, life-changing moment. And maybe, you know, Jesus is giving you the drink of water, or he's kneeling by you and saying, I do not condemn you. What does that lead to? That leads to focus following, just like we see here in the text, right? So you're following him. Great. Following Jesus, 
Well, that's obedience. That's willful obedience. If you're following him, you're choosing to obey, just like we've talked about. And what happens when you obey? It's another opportunity to encounter Christ. And so it just leads around and around and around. But I'm human. What happens if I disobey? What happens if I fall into disobedience or I fail like Peter did? Well, that's an opportunity for repentance, right? And when you repent, what is repentance but obedience? And we get back into the circle and we continue around. That's another opportunity to encounter Christ, another opportunity to follow him with focus, another opportunity to obey. Now, as we get older and more mature in Christ, hopefully this down here, this disobedience and repentance, hopefully there's less disobedience and less of a need for repentance and you're just hanging out in this circle more and more often with those encounters, with that following, with that obedience. The last thing I want to mention here with this is this is daily. This is ongoing. Think about how much time Peter spent with Jesus. How many nights they camped out together. How many breakfasts that they had the same thing can be true of you. You can spend your every moment with Jesus. You can have these daily encounters with him. This might all happen in the span of minutes, seconds, that you have. Jesus convicts your heart. Okay, I need to go do this or that. You got a choice. Are you going to follow? Okay, I'm going to follow. There's your obedience. And then you follow through. Boom. What happens? That's another encounter with Jesus. That, that can happen every single day, that systematic reorganization of your priorities to fall into this encounter with Jesus. We said it already. The big idea this morning is this. An encounter with Jesus is marked by change and a call to focus and follow him. Have you encountered him? And will you obey his command? Will you follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I thank you that you have made this all possible for Peter, for John, and for us, that we can encounter you, we can follow you with that focus that only the Holy Spirit can provide. I thank you that you have made it possible for us to obey you. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not had that life-changing, life-altering moment with you, I pray that you would, you would convict their hearts. You would, you would push them to ask that question, have I really encountered him? Lord, you are good. Your kindness is what draws us to repentance. You do not condemn us. And we thank you for that, God. I pray that as we grow and we mature in our love and our devotion for you, that you would push us through this cycle again and again. The encounter would be followed by following, lead to obedience, that we would live this way moment by moment every day of our lives. Lord, I know for myself, for, for others of us, this might be convicting. We might realize maybe we haven't been following you. Maybe we have, have not been obeying 
what you have for us. Maybe we've been getting caught up in comparison, just like we, we read that immediately happens with Peter. I pray that we would focus on you, God. We would not lose that focus, but we would maintain it by your spirit. You would continue to cause us to seek you first and nothing else. We thank you for your word that is living and active. We thank you for the free gift of your sacrifice that is salvation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would dwell within each one of our hearts. You would convict us and we would follow you. We pray these things in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen.